it went straight down the middle. Then it started to You come off that year four wins in 96, a bit of a lull then. Maybe you were still winning elsewhere but uh, or coming close, but, uh, um, you know, we fast forward to 99 with the next Dinah Shore win. So what was sort of going on between 96 and 99? I just didn't play that great of golf, and I was completely re-inspired, um, really re-inspired by the Solheim Cup in, in 98 at Muirfield Village. Uh, played really well with Randy Burton in 96. We were at uh, Wales and at St. Pierre. Um, had some personal stuff going on that wasn't very positive, and the Solheim Cup at, at Muirfield Village was a real real kick in the can for me. I, it just made me want to go out and play great golf again, and I played exceptional golf that week, and it proved to myself that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready to kind of kick this thing back into high gear. Yeah. Bruce, it's been interesting as we've talked to these guests. Everyone has a lull. You experienced it. Everybody did Uh, for a variety of reasons, right? I mean, sometimes it's physical. It's hard to get through a long career like Dottie had 17 years, I think, on the LPGA Tour. Hard to get through 17 years without something going on with your body. You've got personal things going on because everybody's got an outside life to golf. And golf is such a mental focus sort of game that everything around you has got to be in order too. So there's a lot of stuff that uh, keeps people from having 17 beautiful, wonderful yeah. years. Yeah, it's not going to happen. And uh, <laughs> you've, you've summed it up pretty good, you know. Uh, when you're playing well, you think, uh, oh, well, you know, I know how to play this game. I, I've, got, I've got it. Uh, there's no way I'm going to lose it again. And then all of a sudden you fall off the tracks and you wonder, how the hell did that happen? And, so and basically it's uh, – uh, I always felt when I was off track, back to basic fundamentals. Grip, stance, alignment, you know, just go back to where you started. And that's, I think that's the only way you can get it back, Dottie. I, I completely agree. Um, and it's it's those fundamentals. And what was I thinking about when it was going well? Was I not thinking at all? Was I Was there one particular thing yeah. I was focused on? Going back to what you know works, and sometimes that is we're we're constantly. And Curtis talks about this too. You're always trying to get better, but where's that? Where's the the peak performance in the bell curve that keeps you in in that zone somewhere before you're you're pushing yourself to get better, where you can plateau and and be really good, but you push yourself too far, and you're off the other side. We're always trying to get better, but how do you stay in that? that optimal space where you perform best. And sometimes you got to go to the other side to figure it out. Yeah. So in the, when you won the second time at uh, uh, Dinah Shore, tell us about your feelings there. I had um, really started working. End of 98, I moved down to Loxahatchee Club in Jupiter. So I really had a great situation for playing and practicing and had a trainer and uh, I came out ready to play at the beginning of 99. Um, I packed on some muscle. I had really worked hard fundamental-wise, and I was ready to go. And at the tournaments leading up to that, I, I knew I was I, I was rounding into form at, at the right time. Oddly enough, I, that particular week, I did not drive the golf ball very well. Um, I hit it far enough, but it was also very crooked. But I pitched and fought my way around the golf course, I think, better than I than I ever had. And I... I putted beautifully. I, I just, iron play was, was phenomenal. I had gone to, um, Bruce, you might know Jack Wolcotty. 
who did a lot of work uh-huh. on, on, sure. on golf clubs and was Nicholas's guy. And, and he was down there in, in Palm Beach Gardens. Palm Beach. Yep. Yeah. And I took my set of – I was, did not like the set of irons I had at the beginning of the season. And things were going left, and I knew I wasn't swinging left. So took him to Jack, and he got the big old lead hammer out. And he, I, I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing to my golf clubs? <laughs> uh, and literally, the hammer, the head of the hammer was like this, and he got him, got him on the lion loft board, and he said, these things are way too upright for you. Bent them two degrees flatter, and I was off to the races. Everything that I was yeah. working on clicked. And I headed to the desert, played beautiful golf, and then it all really kicked in that particular week. Yeah, you led by three after three rounds. And as Judy Rankin said, if you're playing well, three can be a lot. If you're not, it's not. Uh, yeah. And I I played a really, really good final round. But it, it came down to, in the final final grouping, it was Meg Mallon, myself, and Kelly Robbins. And we had, Meg was in the grouping on Saturday, and it start, we started to separate ourselves from the rest of the field. And I just remember standing myself on the 17th hole, even on Saturday, I am not going to be the one that's going to blink. We were both playing exceptional golf. And I, I think it, she would have won maybe every other Dyna with the score that she shot. Um, and I ended up winning by six. Mm. Yeah, uh, that was six over Meg and, and, and Kari Webb. Uh, you bogeyed 13 on Sunday, but then you came right back and, uh, and birdied 14. Tell us a little bit about what happened on 16. Uh, 16 is dog leg, slight dog leg to the right, par four, and I hold out. Uh, drove it in the middle of the fairway. One of, like I said, one of the few fairways I actually hit that week. Uh, yeah. and, and, and hold out with seven iron. And funny thing, on my, my website, it's on there, the, the, the reel of, there's, I don't know, 15 or 20 seconds that ESPN was kind enough to give me, and we used it as part of the, <laughs> part of the lead up to the book. Uh, but it was my, my now dear friend and colleague, Ian Baker Finch, was on the call. Ah, how uh, cool was it? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, you know, Bruce, having talked to 47, I think now, uh, interviews, all pretty much major winter winners, mm-hmm. not very many have had a chance to come down the stretch with that kind of lead and walk up that 18th hole to, to an ovation. That's true. That's absolutely true. A very rare privilege. What'd that feel like, Dottie? You know, I, I, I was... I think I enjoyed going to the 18th hole, knowing that I had that sort of a lead. But I hit it in the water. It's like I can't even enjoy this. I just <laughs> knocked three wood into the into the water left. <laughs> so, you know, I think there was, and I was bound and determined that I didn't want to finish with bogey. So I ended up making, I think, a 10 footer or so for for um for a par. In fact, the the photo is on on the wall behind me. Um, but I made that. It was it was not a birdie putt at the last. It was for par. But I didn't oh, want to finish okay. making a six with that kind of lean and having played that well all week long. Yeah, well, you know, it was the most strokes ever under Parna Major. Um, it ended a two-year drought for you. Of course, you did take the traditional dip this time in the pond on 18. But what I like for our listeners, uh, because there's hope for all of us, uh, we hear Dottie talk about how bad she drove the ball, Bruce. She only yeah. shot 70, 66, 67, 66. Come on. 19 yeah. under? 19 She's not under. driving the ball well? Yeah. Well, she has a very high standard. Well. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I pitched it like I never pitched it before. I, I was not, I don't think, a very good pitcher of the golf ball. But that week I was aces there. 
Every time I, I got in trouble, I it was it was, it was pretty impressive, <laughs> even by my standard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you notched a couple of other victories uh, uh, later that year. The Oldsmobile Classic, Walnut Hills uh, Country Club up in Michigan by two over Kelly Keeney. And then uh, and then in 2000, you won the Arch Wireless Championship at uh, LPG International Legends Course by three over Rachel Hetherington. That was that was the Tour Championship. So it was the last event on the schedule. And I'd just come off a pretty pretty bad bad run through the middle of the summer with my back. In fact, I missed defending the, the title at Walnut Hills. Sadly, the golf course doesn't even exist anymore. It's, it's now a housing development. But it was a classic old Midwest, um, Lansing, great membership. Uh, but they just couldn't make it go. And over the last couple of years, it's, it's um, become a, a housing development. But that was, that was an important win, too. Uh, I felt, you know, my dad played for the Tigers. I made the, made, made the trip to Tiger Stadium during the 99 event on Saturday night because it was going to be the last time I could see baseball in Tiger Stadium because they were tearing it down and building Comerica Park. So I managed to, to wiggle that in. Uh, and then you know, I, I couldn't defend because I was, I was, on, I was all in PT for months uh, trying to get through the 2000 season to get into the Solheim Cup where Bradley was, was captain and then who was well enough to play and play well in, in November. Um, at the at the tour championship, but I had I'd gone out to dinner Saturday night with the Rankins and Billy Ray Brown, and had some bad oysters, and I was so sick for the final round. It was awful. Oh my! It was oh boy, awful. But managed to to hang on for <laughs> for one last win, and that was my last tour win. Yeah, uh, that yeah. was win number seventeen on the LPGA tour for Dottie Pepper, and and you know Bruce, one thing that uh, I find very interesting. Uh, Dottie, I haven't done the math on this, Bob, but I look at your LPGA playoff record of, of three and five. And so you had some other close calls, but the thing about that, that I don't understand. Well, I, I think I do. Maybe it, it, we've talked to all these major champions, the greatest players that have ever lived. And I bet if I added up all of their playoff records, it's probably sub 500, which just shows you what a crap shoot one whole playoffs are. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Yeah, it, it can be. Uh, and I, I think overall, if I had to go back and change my mindset about playoffs, it would not be. I mean, you can't rest on your laurels, and you got to be the one to go out and try to win it, not wait for somebody else to make a mistake. And I think, I think maybe I waited a little. I was maybe a little too passive, if, if that yeah. makes any sense at all. Does make sense, absolutely. Well, let's just uh, uh, touch briefly on the majors, Dottie. You, you talked about your experience with some of these. We, of course, talked about the, the wins at the Dinosaur. But if you start with uh, the Dinosaur, Kraft Nabisco, uh, you had some other close calls. I mentioned you finished second uh, the year before you won in 92 to Amy Alcott in 91. Uh, you finished second the year after you won it in 99 to Kari Webb. And you also finished second the following year to uh, Annika. So you you, yeah. you did like that golf course, didn't you? I, I did loved like, it. I did like that golf course. I, I liked the time of the year it was. I was fresh, uh, and, I, and it had been a focal point for me really since. You know, it becomes the focal point when you sit down and establish what you think your schedule is going to look like for the year. You wanted to. You know, I talked to Nicholas about this for for a bit um, back in in '92, and you're trying to pick a schedule. Of course. He liked to be on site and play his way around that particular 
golf course, we would always go early to Augusta. We'd go, try to go early to a U.S. Open. Women couldn't do that because of our, our agreement with the tour. When we signed uh, at the beginning of the year, you couldn't play the previous week um, at, the, at the tournament site. So you had to either not play at all or you had to play in the tournament that was on the schedule prior. So I, I couldn't do that. Uh, but I was ready to, to focus on that particular, that particular major at the beginning of the year was always, I think for me, I was a little fresher and I, I knew exactly what it took to, to get around that golf course. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point you make, Dottie, because the counterpoint to that that we've heard from the men is many of our champions that we've talked to, Bruce, didn't have a particularly good record at the PGA just because of where it fell in the schedule. And by that time, a lot of them said, we were worn out. Worn out. Yeah, right. August, yeah. It had been a long year. Yeah, I, I think you can you can debate the way they've got the schedule now with really one one highlight from March, April, May, June, July, June and July. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe it's spread out a little bit better. Maybe the, I, I personally like having the PGA in May. I think it's going to open some different golf courses, different venues that will that will change maybe the, the makeup. But uh, it was it's hard to maintain intensity to maintain good health to maintain your enthusiasm uh toward the end of the year it's hard yeah at, at my age i'm having a tough time doing it for four hours <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> good point so 15 starts at the uh, nabisco donashore made the cut 15 times then the lpga championship 15 starts 14 cuts so you missed one time missed there one. that's all i missed one there I never, um, so I played, we, my first LPGA championship was at Kings Mill in, in Cincinnati, north side of Cincinnati. Um, not a golf course I particularly loved, but got it around. Never really had, when the Duke, when DuPont Country Club started hosting the LPGA championship, didn't like the golf course. I said my chances were, I tried everything. I went in there weeks early, tried to change the whole way I prepared. Nothing ever clicked. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I love Bethesda Country Club, and I played pretty well there. Um, but I never, never fell in love with Dupont. It didn't fit my eye. It just something was not was not right about that place. And it, my chances at an LPGA Championship were about zero. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, just for our listeners who who don't know this, uh, Dupont Country Club was the host from '94 all the way through 2004. So I guess that's a stretch of 11 years. And you're right. I mean, you, you look through some of the names and there's some repeat winners. So that suited uh, certain certain players and certain players that didn't. Yeah, there were mega bombers that, that played really well there. Uh, Julie played very well there. Laura Davies played well there. Uh, it was, it helped the McDonald's championship early on there. And I had one or two good finishes, but it just never, there was never a love affair with the golf course. Yeah, yeah. You had a few good finishes at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, 19 starts, 18 cuts made, but you had uh, six top tens, five top fives. You had the three thirds and 88 at Baltimore. Uh, Lisa mm-hmm. Newman won 1990 at Atlanta Atlanta Club with uh, with Betsy King winning that one. And then 2001, you mentioned the one at uh, Pine Needles. That's the one that Corey Webb won. Yeah, and I, and I played very poorly to start that that Open. I think I I wanted the U.S. Open too much. It always, it was the Dinah and the U.S. Open were such, such big focal points for me. And I think, I think I just wanted it too much. Yeah. 
you played a couple of uh, British Opens. Of course, that major was only a major starting in, in the year 2001. So that kind of came along late in your career. I did go over and play when it was not on the, on the LPGA schedule. I went over. I thought it would make me you know, more complete player. So I went over. Bruce, you'll appreciate this. Thinking, well, I'm going to a British Open. I need to be hitting it like head high to a grasshopper <laughs> and hitting these tumblers. So that's the way I prepared and flew from Seattle to London, played the Safeco Championship, flew to London. And we ended up, now tell me again where, um, where Ian Poulter plays. Anyway, Parkland Golf Course. <laughs> that you needed to hit yeah. an eye and move in both directions. Yeah. Whole so different, I, was, yeah. Whole I different. went in hitting it. A <laughs> little different but, than Lynx Golf. Well, different than Lynx Golf, but we didn't have the access to really know what these golf courses were like. It's not like you could get on yeah. the internet and take a take a drone tour. Yeah, yeah, doesn't help much. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, finishing up with the Demorier, which uh, was a major from '79 to 2000. Mm-hmm. So you did have 11 starts there. Made a cut every time. Yeah. And uh, best finish was uh, uh, fourth in 1993, the year uh, Brandy Burton won at London Hunt Club. Very cool golf course, and we were in the midst of a massive heat wave. Uh, but they, they moved that championship from East Coast to West Coast, and they really did have, have something special there in Canada. And, and government legislation got in the way because it was a tobacco company. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit of team play, if we can. You referenced a couple times uh, your experience in the Solheim Cup, and um, you had a chance to play as a player six times. The record for Dottie Pepper, pretty good, Bruce. 13-5-2, boy. I'll <laughs> say it's good. You must have thrived in that environment. I, I did. Um, and I talked about it earlier. My whole foundation was based upon a very disappointing Curtis Cup experience uh, and having the opportunity to be on that first team was announced well at DuPont Country Club, Charlie Meacham, or how else was Charlie was the commissioner? Anyway, no, Charlie wasn't the commissioner at the time, but it was announced that there was going to be uh, a women's equivalent or to that of the Ryder Cup, and I thought, well, I want to be part of that. And oh, by the way, points have already started to accrue. We're going to go back to the beginning of this season. But, oh, oh, this is good. I've already won one year, so I, I, I'm 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 in the mix. And it turned out I got the last the last earned spot on that team. I got had to get it up and down from 150 yards at Centel in at Tallahassee at Killarney Country Club to to lock up the last spot on that team. Oh and it my! Was, it was oh. it was pretty. It was a very very special week. Yeah. So uh, uh, you got to play in the inaugural. Solheim Cup back in 1990. Of course, uh, that was a win at Lake Nona. And team captain, appropriately enough, Kathy Whitworth. Exactly. Uh, and it just, Kathy did something really, really cool. I think it was, it's, it's, it gives so much credit to what happened with Zinger, put it with his pods at Valhalla. Yeah. Kathy did that yeah. in 90. <laughs> she did, she paired, <laughs> she paired like personalities and just said, anticipate that, that your opponents are going to play the best golf of their life and just go get it, go get it done. She was, she was, she was, um, she was amazing. And, and she was the captain in 92 as well, but her mom had passed uh, wow. while we, when we got to the matches. And so she headed home.
Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me. One in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Panda and Shepard, as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that had to be tough for everybody, team included, to to kind of go through that experience. It, it was. Uh, there was there was just not a not a whole lot of organization, and I think a lot of people, because of how well we played at Lake Nona, thought that would translate immediately to playing well uh, over in the UK, and that did not happen. Uh, it, it didn't didn't. The team never gelled. To, didn't make the weather was terrible. It didn't didn't make any putts. Um, didn't have the leadership from from Kathy, and that was that was pretty difficult. But I think we thought we'd roll over um, the the European team, and they figured out a way that they didn't have to play. And said that the rules have since changed, but they didn't have to play everybody before Sunday singles. So they just waited, and they played all their uh, horses, and yeah. then put everybody on the golf course during singles. So of course the captain's agreement has been changed, and it's something that that. Is at the Ryder Cup as well, but you you yeah. gotta everybody's got to play before Sunday singles. Yeah, well, you got back on the winning track the next year. Yeah, ninety yeah. uh, ninety four when we played at the Greenbrier, that was that was a different ball game. Uh, Carner was was the captain, and she was magnificent. She did, she set the whole tone by just um, well. Beth Daniel said at one of the the early dinners, she said, we're going to make the fat lady sing. <laughs> so she had the, the sequined hat and she sat there with her cocktail at the head of the table every night. And she was just, she, she uh, was, great. she was remarkable, but her whole philosophy was just go win the first hole. If you win the first hole, you've got that mentality going forward and that will, that will carry it. And every, and that was, that was, it was very simple. And we had our marching orders. Yeah, yeah. So, so Joanne's leadership style a little bit different then. Yeah, she 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 just took everything as it came flying at her. No, nothing faced her at all. So then, in '96 and '98, your captain was Judy Rankin when you when you guys won at Saint Pierre Hotel, and then at Muirfield Village again. Yeah, we were behind going into the final day at Saint Pierre by by a decent margin, as I remember. And the only thing Judy said at dinner on Saturday night was, I want you to just go do what you already know how to do. So making this so difficult, you guys know how to win, you know how to play, just go do what you already know how to do. And we rolled on Sunday. Pat Bradley was not playing well, put her out first, and she did get beaten. But I think she may have been the only loss, uh, with the exception of a couple of ties on, on the way through the lineup. It was huge. Yeah. Yeah, nineteen ninety eight Muirfield Village, Dottie Pepper goes four and oh, and the Europeans were trying to use your image for motivation. That didn't work for them very well, did it? No, I don't think <laughs> it did. <laughs> no, it didn't. Um it's still that was a that was an important week because it was you know, we went to a, a golf course that was familiar to so many people and the quality of the play was so good. 
Judy, Judy worked hard at that, at that week. Um, it was very hot. It was dry. It was a Muirfield village that a lot of people hadn't really seen because they, you know, Bruce, you know what Muirfield village yeah. can be like in, in late May and early June, and it can be, just be a slog fest. Um, it was hot yeah. and dry, and it was actually a, a home Ohio State game on Saturday, and the Solheim Cup sold out. So it was. Oh, that's interesting. There was, there was an amazing amount of support for the event in Columbus. Yeah, yeah, boy, cool. I'll say. Well, we could skip two thousand because you just went over to Scotland and played a, a a course that you could find anywhere in America. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> <It's true. laughs> but they have the best cream of mushroom soup ever. I ended up getting ever. the recipe. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff about Loch Lomond, but I'm not sure the golf course is one of them. No, I have to agree. And they had had some sort of thing roll through prior or post the European tour playing there and the greens were gone. No excuse. Somebody's going to make putts, but um, it was kind of a bummer to roll up on a Solheim cup and see, see what the conditions were. Uh, but we just, yeah, again, yeah. didn't, didn't play very well. There was controversy in there that um, I think Bradley handled so well and she was absolutely vilified for it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Dottie, take us through the transition you made then as you uh, go from full-time LPGA player to Citizen Pepper? <laughs> uh, it was it was health-driven. You know, in 2002, I had my first shoulder surgery. And I think I lost... I, I, I guess I just didn't realize how burned out I was. Um, tried to come back. Came back too early. I was set back there for sure. Um, and I just realized that there was more more good stuff to life than just beating balls and being on the road um, playing golf. And in 2004, I was struggling again health-wise. I lost a lot of feeling in my face. And it turned out to be uh, a compression situation in my right shoulder. So now I've got both shoulders that are either surgically repaired or need to be surgically repaired. And I just I'd had enough. I ended up uh, at the Mayo Clinic in the fetal position having a spinal tap and <laughs> thought, this is not worth it. No, this is yeah. just not worth yeah. it. And um, you know, so that was early July of, of 2004. And, and fortunately, I had a very good friend that worked at NBC as a statistician, John Goldstein, who said, "You know, Tommy, the Tommy Roy, the producer, said you ought to give her a shot. She might be okay at this. Um, she kind of organized, and she's got an opinion. And if she prepares to, to broadcast the way she did as a player." I think that might she'll be, be good. She'll be all right. Um, so yeah. that was so. I ended up withdrawing from the U.S. Women's Open. I, had, I was given a special exemption to play in '04. Gave that back, uh, and Tommy hired me then. And so I, I started broadcasting everything NBC had uh, for the rest of that season for the women's game. And they had a they had a World Championship. They had the Women's Open. Um, they had, and then ABC called. So I didn't have a contract for an exclusive, but Judy Rankin fell. And she fell at the tour championship and she broke her elbow and banged up her face real bad, ended up having to have surgery. And they called me to do the Wendy's Street Tour Challenge and also to go to the, to the World Cup, which was over in Seville, Spain. And that really, that changed my, like, I really do want to do this. And, and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being back amongst some of the guys that I was with at Titleist, so Billy Ray Brown, we had a ball. 
did a bunch of junior clinics when I was with, on that staff and just reconnected with a lot of people that I played college golf and, and some of the professional the silly season events with. But I loved the television side of it. I, I loved just the process of getting on the air, of figuring out good things to, to be able to share with the audience that they wouldn't otherwise be able to know. And I had a lot of people really um, serve as mentors or just gave me really good advice along the way. Great. So you spent time with uh, with uh, Golf Channel NBC, a little time at ESPN, and here you are at CBS working with some great, great colleagues. Yeah, it's it's been quite the journey, uh, and and very different. So over the course of it, because of where I worked, and I've now covered every major championship, and that's cool. And, and I and I loved being able to do do the amateur stuff when when we had. I worked at ESPN. I, I did play-by-play for the Walker Cup. Uh, it was So I've been able to do it in different roles. I've been on the ground or I've been in the 18th tower or a supporting tower position. And I, and I think it's really, this goes back to my, my days with, at NBC with Tommy Roy. He wanted his announcers to be able to wear every hat. If something happened, yeah. he wanted everybody to be very um, flexible and, and adept at doing other jobs, not just being pigeonholed into, into one sort of um, utility. So I, you know, thankful, thankful for that. Um, I've learned so much from every producer that, that I've worked for. And now being at CBS with Seller Shy in the lead chair, it's, um, it's organized fun. And, and I think there's a, we came out of the COVID lockdowns because of how we did, did golf. And we went back with a super tower sort of situation in Orlando in the studio and having a couple of us out on the ground, I was the only one to do all 11 events that we came back and did post-lockdown. Yeah. I think you developed you developed a trust, and you developed um, – you really relied on each other, even though you weren't really in the same place. And I think it, it helped our level of communication, uh, not only with producers and directors and all the technicians, but also announcers themselves. Yeah, Bruce, yeah. you're probably one of the few people listening or participating in this podcast that has an appreciation for how hard what Dottie does is. Oh, yes, I know exactly that. You, you know, it's, uh, you, you mentioned something very important, Dottie, and that is uh, learning from the people that uh, that you work with. I can remember, you'll remember a, a gentleman by the name of Don Olmeyer. He told me and when I first started, when he first came over, uh, to NBC said to me, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. The people, what you see on your television set is the same as what the people see in their living room. So don't talk about that. Talk about the people, the conditions. It was the best advice I ever got from anybody in the TV business. So true. Um, It's a visual medium. And it was something that Eric Saperstein, who was a studio producer at Golf Channel, my very first show in the studio, said, tell the viewers something that they wouldn't otherwise be able to know. It's not what you're looking at. It's something to no. add. It's, it needs to be additive. And that, that set, set it so well, um, set the foundation so well. And then Judy Rankin's advice was, especially because I, when I was at NBC, I was the third walker on the PGA Tour coverage or the U.S. Open coverage, all, all of that. Um, she said, you know, that producer is not going to stay with you, so say as much as you can in as few words as possible. There you go. And yeah. between those two, it's just a great foundation. And 
also from Mike Tirico, go back and watch your shows. Are there ticks? Are there things you're falling into repeatedly that you can always clean up? And think about all the, the different sports that he covers and the amount of hours that he's on the air. He still finds time to go back and watch quite a bit yeah. and be constantly evaluating your own performance. What a pro he is. And, uh, you know, you, I'm sure you two could talk broadcasting for uh, uh, another hour here. But uh, with time being short, let's put a bow on this, uh, Dottie. We certainly enjoy the work of you and your colleagues on CBS. And as we wrap up the life of Dottie Pepper, Bruce, there's uh, three questions we like to always ask our wow. guests. Okay. There is. Uh, the first one, Dottie, is uh, if you knew what you know now when you first started on the tour, what would you do different? I would be a little easier on myself. <laughs> and I, I, would, um, okay. I, would, I would realize, certainly because of the space that we as broadcasters are, that golf is so far from perfect. And that those people hitting those seemingly bad golf shots still manage to win their fair share. Fair enough. Uh, second question. You got one career mulligan. Where do you take it? I take it at the Rochester International in 1997. I missed a putt that was, well, screamed. It wasn't like, it Uh was probably two feet at the last hole to go into a playoff. Defending the title in 96. And, you know, Rochester was important. It's three hours, three and a half hours from home. Yeah, that's home, almost home country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I I, I missed a putt at the last hole to force a playoff with Penny Hamill. I would take that one again. You notice she didn't spend much time thinking about mm. that, Bruce. <laughs> no, she <laughs> did not. That was a little scar tissue. <laughs> oh, Good. yeah. Okay, we've got to finish it off, Dottie. How do you want people to remember Dottie Pepper? Ooh. I guess that I was a, um, a competitor at heart that also had a heart. Very good. Well, we just, uh, again, Dottie, thank you. It's been a, a real pleasure for us to have you on the For the Good of the Game, and uh, we wish you all the best from from here on, and uh, thank you again for joining well, us. Well, thanks for taking up this. Um, it's, a, it's a monumental task that you have ahead of you, but but to, to, to try to do all the major champions and people who have changed the game, that's, that's, a, that's a tall task, and thanks for, for jumping on. Straight down the middle. Daddy, thanks for telling your story. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway Then it started to slice just a smidge off line It headed for two, but it bounced off nine My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay Yes, it went straight down the middle Quiet